We meet today in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 12. In this particular section, we are talking of the persecution of believers now and the judgment of believers hereafter at the coming of Christ. First, the introduction. Paul, Salvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 1. Now Paul's greeting is his usual friendly greeting to a church which is theologically and spiritually sound. Paul includes the greetings here of Silas, a contraction of the name Salvanus and Timothy here. These three men had endured a great deal for the sake of the gospel. Paul and Silas were in prison at Philippi. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had gone to Thessalonica together, and later Paul had to leave them. He waited for them in Athens, and when they did not come, he went on to Corinth, where they finally met. It was at that time that Paul wrote his first epistle to the Thessalonians to answer some of the questions that had come up since they had been there. When Paul writes his second epistle, he identifies his two co-workers who are brethren with him. He would identify himself with men who, for us today, would be totally unknown had not Paul included them in these epistles. Well, this reveals something of the character of Paul, isn't it? A man who had been a proud young Pharisee has now become a humble follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and a servant of his and apostle of his. So in his greeting, we note, to begin with, to the church of the Thessalonians. Well, that was the local church in Thessalonica. Paul believed in the local church, my friend, and that church in Thessalonica was the church in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He probably did not mention the Holy Spirit here because the Holy Spirit was in the church in Thessalonica indwelling the believers. The indwelling Spirit enabled them to manifest the life of Christ and to walk worthy of the high calling of God. No wonder he made a commendation that they had become a model church, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in the then known world. Their position, however, was in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend. This means that Paul taught the deity of Christ in those few days he spent with them, in less than a month. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that Jesus Christ was God the Son. In John 10 verse 27 to verse 29, the Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Well, in this first verse, you have two hands of deity, which belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. They are all given here. That is where the church is positionally. The church at Thessalonica was there, and I hope that your church is there as well. 
The important thing is not the name of your church. The important thing is that you are and other true believers are in Christ Jesus. And that makes the local church very important. Local churches are there today, sometimes which may even be big, but when the believers are not in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells true believers, and by His power they can manifest Christ in the local neighborhood, in the community, in the town, in the state in which they live, in the country in which they live, in the world, showing forth the life of God. That is what Paul is saying to these believers in his introduction, acknowledging that they are the church that is in God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, here Paul uses the word grace and peace. They are important words in the gospel. Grace comes first. Now, if you have experienced the grace of God, that means you have been served. You are a child of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to verse 9. My friend, when you come to God as a lost sinner, bringing nothing and receiving everything from him, then you have experienced the grace of God. He offers you salvation. The gift of God is eternal life. You cannot work for a gift. And if you do, it ceases to be a gift. It becomes something that you have earned. It becomes a payment. Salvation is God offering you a lost hell-doomed sinner, eternal life, if you trust Christ. That is grace. But I said grace always comes first. After grace comes peace. If you have experienced God's grace, then you know something about God's peace. Peace is the world's softest pillow that you can actually sleep on at night. It is the peace that comes when you know that your sins are forgiven. Peace comes not from some psychological gyrations you go through. No, peace is not even something that comes through the counsel of a psychiatrist, but it comes from a supernatural source. And here Paul says, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is supernatural. If you don't have this kind of peace, you can have it, because it is the gift of God which is given to sinners who trust God and turn to him through Christ Jesus. So that's part of the introduction that Paul gives us as he writes this second letter to the Thessalonians. He moves on to the subject of persecution of the believers and even the fruit of that persecution. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Actually, in verse 4, Paul speaks of patience and faith. 
Here in verse 3 and verse 4, we have that little trinity that Paul uses again. It comes, faith, love, and patience. These three words are abstract terms, but we must bring them out of the abstract into the concrete. God, you must get them walking on the sidewalks of life today. And Paul's words in the first epistle had borne fruit. His concern about their faith seems satisfied now, and there is also an abounding love in the church. Many had taken to heart the words of exhortation in the first epistle, especially those of First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to verse 25. They were practicing what they had been taught. Now you cannot grow toward God without growing outward toward your brother or toward your neighbor. When you grow toward God in grace and knowledge and faith, you grow toward your brother in love. And God must send us a little trouble, you see, because that is the discipline which produces patience in our lives. It enables us to look down into the future with hope. And saying this place is not the best of places, I wish I was in the better place. It is said that if the Israelites were having a great time experiencing peace and all the comfort in the land of Egypt, they would not have come to a point where they called upon the name of the Lord. But because persecution came, they were suffering under the angry and heavy hands of the Egyptians. At that time, they saw their need for God and they cried out to God. And in, of course, because they had hope in God, he gave them deliverance. In this world, we will experience pain and trouble and persecutions. But when they come upon us, our hope in Christ should be strengthened. It should be produced. And we look to the future with hope, knowing that what we are experiencing today is not the best of all situations. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. Well, tribulations here are afflictions. The church will not go through the great tribulation. I have already stated this, but the church will go through the little tribulation. We will have trouble here on earth. If you are not having any troubles, then there must be something wrong with you because the Lord disciplines his own children. And the word patience is an interesting one. The Greek word translated by the English word patience has the literal meaning of standing under. It means to be placed under. Now, there are many people today trying to get out from under the problems and the afflictions and the difficulties of life. The person who is patient is able to stay under and he keeps on carrying the Lord. He doesn't throw it off. He doesn't try to get rid of his responsibility. Patience is that the children of God will carry on holding on to their responsibilities even when things are difficult. These Thessalonian Christians had a real testimony in the Roman world of that day. The patience and faith of these Christians were unshaken as they were enduring a great deal of trouble, persecutions, and afflictions. 
Now, trouble is not something strange, my friend. The word of God makes it very clear that we are going to have trouble in this life. Peter expressed it like this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fairy trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Isn't it interesting? The charge here is don't consider it strange. In other words, you should go through those trials and tribulations when they are coming upon your life. You should say that is what must happen. It must be usual. Sometimes we hear Christians say, I don't know why God let this happen to me. Nobody else has ever had to go through this. Well, it is safe to say that such a statement is not true. Whatever you are going through, you have company. It is not a strange thing for you to suffer. It is not a strange thing for a child of God to go through suffering. Actually, Peter goes on to say, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. First Peter 4 verse 13. What is Peter saying? Peter warns that Christians sometimes get themselves into trouble. Verse 15 of the same chapter says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. You see, the point here is a Christian can get himself in hot water, in hot soup, to use the modern day language, because he talks too much about others. Or he can suffer persecution because he is dishonest. There is no advantage to that kind of suffering, my friend. That is not the discipline in life which will develop patience. This is simply getting what you have come to. You deserve it. Peter goes on to say in First Peter 4 verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You see, there is a difference between being disciplined to learn patience and the punishment of the wicked. God disciplines his children for their development, for their growth, and that they might have patience and hope for the future. We don't need to get too comfortable down here on earth. When we do, we no longer have the hope before us of the Lord's return. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 says, Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. That point is really hammered here. While the judgment of the wicked begins, actually, we will see that stated in verse 8. This is certainly the introduction to it. The kingdom of God is marked by the universal lordship of the Father who exercises control over all things. His rule will be fully manifested and unopposed when the kingdom of this world are overcome through Christ Jesus. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. Here when God judges, God is righteous in his judgment. And Paul asks the question, is there unrighteousness with God? 
Of course, the answer is, let it not be, let it not be. God forbid, according to Romans 9 verse 14, whatever God does is absolutely right. He can do no wrong. And sometimes we complain about the things that happen to us because we are ignorant. We do not understand God's ways. But God has a very definite purpose for all that he does. And God is righteous in sending even the great tribulation. It is a judgment of sinners. So let's talk about the judgment of the wicked at Christ's coming. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking Vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 to verse 9. Quite a number of things need our clear observation here. There is the use of the word rest. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us. The word rest may be synonymous with the times of refreshing uh, prophecy of Acts chapter 3 verse 19. If this is correct, Paul is making reference again to the millennium. The word speaks of a relaxation of strain once God's purpose has been satisfied in history. The Lord will be revealed as the great judge surrounded by angels sending fire from heaven to culminate in the judgment of the tribulation period as he comes to rule all the nations. And of course, some 2, some 8, Revelation 19, all the way to 20, they talk about these things. So now these verses we have read should not be confused with the earlier event of the rapture which features no overt acts of punishment of the world and is described in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 18. That confusion must be marked. The word translated revealed is actually a noun and it means an unveiling or a disclosure. Of the 22 uses of this word in the Greek New Testament, Thirteen are in Pauline epistles. The vengeance described here is not vindictive, but the proper administration of justice towards those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here the word obey also serves as a synonym for serving faith. Everlasting destruction is not the destruction of a person in the sense of annihilation, but in the sense of being cut off forever from the Lord's presence and all that makes living truly meaningful. Now, my friend, the judgment of the lost is coming. If you want to stay in that class, you shall be judged. Somebody needs to tell you the facts, and I'm telling you those facts right now. Again, who are the lost? The lost are those who, first of all, do not know God. And secondly, are those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me repeat verse 9 to you. 
These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 well, here the coming of Christ to the earth in judgment will justify the believers who have put their trust in him and it will glorify the Savior. That day is again a reference to that day of the Lord, the time of God's demonstration of his glory over all opposition. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2 talked about this. It begins with the opening of the great tribulation according to Revelation chapter 4 to 19 and comes to a close with the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth according to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It will be a time of retribution, a time of redemption, a time of restoration as God makes all things right. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 to verse 12. Well, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified is the goal towards which all these things are moving. If God has prospered you, if God has made you a financial success and you can glorify Christ, that is correct. But somehow I get more impressed by an ordinary saint who has been hospitalized almost for life yet has a radiant testimony for Christ. Certainly, Christ is being glorified in that person's life. I know of a dear saint currently as I speak who has served the Lord faithfully and is not in good condition health-wise, but whenever you meet the, this dear saint, she would even speak to you to say, while my outward body is wasting away, my inner man is strengthened every day. You can almost see the readiness to even depart and be with the Lord in her eyes. But she has the joy of the Lord. Certainly, Christ is being glorified in her life. Is Christ being glorified in your life? Yes, when things are all right. But he too must be glorified in your life. When things are very difficult, he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And because you as a child of God with great hope for the great restoration that will come, you can rejoice and glow with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information.
Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.